You are now tuned in to With Love J Podcast. To my brothers and sisters in Christ and to everyone in between, welcome back to With Love J. This is officially the first new post slash episode of the new year. It's It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while and I'm glad to be back in communion and fellowship with you all. I've got a very special message today and this one is truly dear to my heart because I have been in such a place of intimacy with God lately that I just want to be of true encouragement and hope to anybody who is listening to this message. Whether you are new in Christ, whether you have not found Christ yet, or whether you have been walking with Christ for a long time and have found yourself just sliding down slippery slopes of sin, I pray that this message touches you and convicts you and does something to your insides where you come out better than how you came in. The title of this episode is Married to the Backslider. Coming back to your first love. And the text in which I'll be taking this message from is Jeremiah chapter 3 verses 14, which reads, Turn, O backsliding children, said the Lord, for I am married unto you. And I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. All throughout the Bible, we read about adultery and idolatry of the generations before our own. The Bible says that there is no new thing under the sun. And the Bible itself and and life is like a wheel within a wheel. Constantly spinning and cycles constantly repeating themselves constantly telling the history of a thing and then its prophecy being fulfilled generation after generation because the same stories that we read about in ancient israel are some of the same customs and practices that we have adopted and and retitled and given to the things that we serve after today and god is saying i'm sick of it i am sick of it Time after time, I have given you time to come back to me. And you still choose the ways of the land that you are in. But like in Jeremiah chapter 3, God is saying, Turn, you backsliding children, for I am married to you. I am married to you. You are my bride. See, the relationship between the Lord and the church is a marriage. It's a union, a holy covenant. We are the bride of Christ. 2 Corinthians 11 and 2 says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, one husband to Christ, that I may present you as a pure virgin to him. See, we were bought with the price and we were promised to be whole, pure virgins to the Lord pure and clean and Christ made the greatest sacrifice of all to call us his wife to be our bridegroom to be our savior Ephesians 5 and 25 says husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy 
cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other kind of blemish, but holy and blameless. This is what God wants from us. And the thing is, we don't have to come to him perfect. We can come to him in old raggedy garments and he's saying, I'm going to make you clean. I'm going to take everything in you that's dirty and wash it with the best detergent in the world, the best bleach in the world. You're not even going to know that that stain was there. I remember it no more. I want to give you a new life. I want to give you a new name, my name, the name of Christ. That's the greatest love of all. Love that is unconditional and says, just come to me as you are. You don't have to have it figured out. Just come. Just come. The doors are open. And God loves us so perfectly, so unconditionally, so righteously, that it would be a grief to deny it. And while we're waiting on God, He wants us to live faithfully until the reunion. The best way I can put it is like this. When... You hear the word of God and you believe the word of God and then you repent with your mouth and confess that Jesus is Lord and you accept his gift of the Holy Spirit and you have become joined to him. It's like signing your marriage certificate. You know, in traditional marriages, before you get married, you're already married before the actual ceremony. So when we accept Christ, We sign that marriage certificate saying, Lord, I vow to live my life for you. I am your bride. You are mine and I am yours. And we're waiting for the ceremony. So while we're waiting, we're preparing ourselves. We're preparing our hearts. We're making sure that everything is in order and we're getting our affairs together. We're going out and we're preaching the gospel and we're sharing the good news and we're living faithfully and we're we're staying obedient and in submission to God. And then the book of Revelation tells us that at the second coming, then the marriage supper will take place and the bride will be joined to the groom in reunion. But that time that you sign your marriage certificate to the time that you join in reunion is so important because that's where our salvation lies. Our salvation lies in how we live our lives from the moment we accept Christ as our husband to the time he comes back because we want him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We want a room in the mansion. We want a place reserved for the new heaven and the new earth. We want a new body to be glorified and and joined with our father. So we have to love God as intimately and as deeply and righteously as he loves us as well. For hundreds of years, Israel was in captivity. Israel was God's chosen people. Hundreds of years, they were led into captivity because they couldn't stay away from sin. They couldn't stay away from the people that God told them to be separate from, to be called apart from. Seven different times Israel went into captivity because they couldn't turn from sin. But God is so righteous 
God is so merciful, so just. He said, even when I'm punishing you, I still love you because I'm a God of balance. I'm a God of love, but also of wrath, a God of mercy, but also of judgment, a just God, a faithful God. He wouldn't be God if he wasn't just. The Bible says a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. So he says, I'm still faithful, slow to anger, compassionate and merciful. See, mercy is when God spares you from the judgment that you did deserve. And some of us have been living under mercy for so long that we don't think we need God anymore. God has been sparing us from a lot of judgment that should have happened to us long time ago. We've been shacking up and fornicating with that man for years now. And by mercy alone, that man hasn't gotten you pregnant because maybe God knew that that wasn't the man that was meant for your destiny. See, maybe you've been experimenting with drugs. Maybe you've been smoking weed and, and doing cocaine and doing hard drugs all your life. And maybe God is sparing you from that one joint that's laced with fentanyl that could kill you. Maybe you've been having unprotected sex with multiple partners and God has spared you from catching an STD to this day. He has spared you from HIV to this day, but he's saying, I'm not going to keep doing it. Don't abuse my grace. Don't abuse my mercy because as much as I am merciful, I am also full of judgment. And sometimes you deserve to reap what you sow. But God is saying, I love you so much. I'm going to keep giving you time. I'm going to be slow to anger. I'm going to give you some time to get back right. See, it was God who told Cain, he said, sin crouches at your front door. See, sin is like a predator. Sin is like a predator to our flesh. It wants our flesh in every way possible. And God told Cain, he said, you must learn to subdue it. See, it's a lot of things that some of us wrestle with in private that we've been wrestling with for a long time. Lust, masturbation, pornography, drugs, alcohol, friendships that don't glorify God. But God says, you're going to have to wrestle with this because if you don't subdue it, it's going to subdue you. And when sin subdues you, you become dead in your sin. And to be dead in your sin is one of the worst places to be because to experience spiritual death, the valley of dry bones. But God is saying, come back to me. The invitation for restoration is there. He's saying, let me breathe life back into these dry bones. Let me breathe my spirit back into you. Come back to me before it's too late. Because when I come back, I'm coming back with wrath. I'm coming to destroy the wicked. I'm coming for those who use my name, but did not serve me. I'm coming for judgment. Too long you've been walking down the path of sin. But God is saying, come back home. Come back to your first estate, to your first love. And the story of Hosea and Gomer is one of the most beautiful biblical prophecies that prophesied the way Christ loves us today 
In the book of Hosea, God tells Hosea to go marry a prostitute, to take a prostitute, a woman of whoredoms, to be his wife. That woman's name was Gomer. And Hosea was obedient to the Lord. See, Hosea was a man of God. And, and you can just imagine how he must have felt when God told him to go marry this woman who would be known for her whoredoms. The thought of Hosea having this happy kingdom marriage was just a far off dream. But to now be faced with the reality that he would be consigning himself to endure emotional grief and dishonor and embarrassment of a wife who will be persistently unfaithful. And in modern day terms, we're talking a woman of low class who marries herself to a man of a much higher class than herself. And even though this man can give her everything that she needs, provides for her as a leader, is a, a covering over her life, she still always finds herself back in her old stumping grounds. To be known as the wife who continuously cheats on her husband, having affairs with multiple men, the woman who stays in the nightclub and everybody knows that she's married, everybody knows who she belongs to, but still she brings shame to that man's name. God told him to go marry that woman. So he did. How many of you could actually say that if you were in a marriage like this, that you would stay? How many of you can actually say that if your husband, your wife, your spouse continuously stepped out on you, that you would still make the decision to say, I'm still your wife, I'm still your spouse, and I'm going to be here. Understand how much love and commitment and sacrifice that takes. Love that we don't even fathom. Unconditional love that we can't even wrap our mind around. Imagine being the husband to a wife who has ran into the bed of another man. Being caught in the act. Just imagine how much shame, hurt, and guilt comes with that. And that's exactly what happened with Hosea and Gomer. In Hosea chapter 3, I'm going to read from NIV. The Bible says, the Lord said to me, go, show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love their sacred cakes. And then in the second verse, it says, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I will behave the same way towards you. Just take a minute to visually imagine this. Hosea looking for his wife. She always seems to be about in the streets, in the faces of other men in the bars, in the nightclubs, sneaking in and out of the house at night, not taking care of her children. And Hosea knows that there's another man involved. He knows that maybe there's men involved. Imagine Hosea going down to the places he knows she hangs out at. Maybe the casino, to that old rundown city where she grew up, her old neighborhood, and asking, hey, have you 
You guys seen my wife, Gomer. I, I, I'm looking for her. She hasn't been home in three days. I, I just, I need to go get her. And maybe someone says, you know, she's, she's at this location. It's about five minutes away. And maybe Hosea walks with his head down, just praying he doesn't have to see what he has to see. So he gets to the address and knocks on the door. And, and maybe someone opens the door and it's a room full of men and women. And there's sexual activities and, you know, orgies and swingers parties, rooms roped off for special clients. And Hosea stands at the door. I'm looking for my wife. I'm looking for I'm looking for Gomer. Maybe someone at the door says, Gomer, I paid for her. She's here with me. Maybe Hosea says, please, I just, I need to talk to my wife. I came to get my wife. Maybe this other man says, no, she's not leaving with you. She's mine. I paid for her. And I'm going to get what I paid for. Maybe Hosea says, whatever I need to give you, I'll give you whatever I need to give you. How much do you want? I just need to come get my wife, please. So the Bible says she was bought again. She was bought again for 15 shekels. Again, Hosea had to pay the dowry for this woman. Again, she had to be bought for a price. This story sounds so familiar. How many of us have been Gomer? How many of us came to the Lord expecting a marriage, expecting to be taken care of, expecting to receive this guidance, this anointing, these blessings, this inheritance, and then we leave the moment we're not happy. The moment we become dissatisfied with God, we go back to what we know. We go back to hanging out with those girlfriends who do nothing but gossip and disrespect their husbands and talk down on their children and gossip online. How many times do we pick up our phone and send a message to the person that we know only wants one thing out of us? How many times do we think about just going to get one bottle of alcohol because life is so hard right now? I just don't want to feel... I'm gonna just have one drink that one drink turns into two and then it's a bottle and then it's a problem again how many times do we pick up the phone and go to that website and search for that thing that we know used to make us feel good and satisfy us and after you're done you feel guilty and you feel drained and you feel nasty and empty, but you just can't stop because this is what I know. This is what makes me feel. And I don't know nothing else. Moving forward is too hard, so it's just easier to go back. It's easier to take one step down the stairs because I don't have strength to go up right now. I don't want to go up right now. And the Lord is saying, I bought you already. I paid the price. I gave my life on Calvary for you because I love you. And Hosea bought Gomer 
for a price again. And when we fall back into sin, when we backslide, it's like we are making Christ pay the price all over again. We put him back on that cross. We make him shed his blood all over again. But he's saying, I love you. I love you. I am still married to you. And I want you back home. Come and be with me. And don't ever come back to this again. In Hosea chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, For their mother has played the harlot. She has conceived shamefully. And she has said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. And then God says, lower in verse eight, he says, but she didn't know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold which she then prepared for another god i gave that to you i was merciful over your life i was gracious over your life but you went elsewhere because of your own selfish needs god says it was me all along and there's something very powerful about being under god's blessing and not even knowing it not understanding how things are happening and lining up and you're saying it's the universe and God saying it's me the universe didn't do this for you you manifesting didn't do this I did this it was me but it was the selfish desire to go after what she wanted it's our selfish desire where we go after what we want and not what God wants for us. God says in the next verse that in due time, I will take away my corn and I will take away my wine in the season thereof and I will recover my wool and my flax that was given to you. All good things must come to an end. You think you do things on your own. You think that you can get through this life under your own strength alone. You think that what you do on your own is what manifests the blessings in your life. But God is saying, no, that was me. But in the season, I will take that all away and I will humble you and you will have to seek me. You will have to come find me. The boat that you've been riding on for so long is going to overturn and it's going to capsize. And I will show you who's God. And in verse 7 of chapter 2, God says, Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband. For then was it better with me than it is now. Can you think of a situation where you got into some mess and you said, Man, I, I should have just did what I was going to do the first time because now my situation is even worse now that I did this. I should have just stayed where I was. I've dug myself into this hole so deep that I don't even know if I can go back. I don't know if he'll take me back. I've lied so much, I don't even know if they'll believe me. I've stolen so much, I don't even know if they want me around anymore. I've caused so much discord in my family, I don't even know if they love me. Things are worse now than they were before. But God told Hosea, he said, go get 
your wife. Go get your wife and redeem her and welcome her back home. Just come back home. I am still married to you and I forgive you and I love you. But just come home. God says, I know what you've done. I know what you're doing right now, but there's still hope. Hosea 6 and 1 says, come and let us return to the Lord for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has smitten, but he will bind us up. Every wound that you have, every scar, every trauma, everything in life that has meant to break you. God says, let me just put you back together. Let me love on you tenderly. Just give it to me. I'll fix it. I'll take care of it. I'll be right there with you. You don't have to wander away anymore. I'm here. He says, I'm still married to you, my backsliding child. Hosea 14 and 4 is one of the most heartwarming verses to someone who has wandered so far away from God and they don't know if they can come back home. God says, I will heal your backsliding and I will love you freely. I will turn away my anger from you. See, the invitation for restoration always remains. Second Chronicles 7 and 14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn away from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. See, there's something that you got to do when you come back to the Lord. God says, you need to make it known what you have done to me. Repent of your sins and tell me that you have fallen by the wayside. And what you ask of me, I will give to you if you ask in faith. And then the Lord says in chapter 16, in that day, you will call me husband and you will no longer call me master. And that's where the true transformation of love happens. Because God is saying, you're going to honor me and you're going to serve me because you love me. You're going to call me husband. See, wives who truly love their husbands, they, they honor the man because they love him. And they clean the house for him because they love him. They prepare his meals so perfectly the way he likes it because they love him. They even pick up his sweaty, nasty shoes from the door because they love him. God says, you're going to call me husband and you'll no longer call me master. You're going to go from having to obey me to wanting to obey me because you love me. And that's where walking with Christ gets a little bit easier because the desire in your heart to serve him and to live for him will be because you love him and not just because the Bible says you have to to get to heaven. The desire to want to serve God has to be greater than what this flesh wants. And getting to that point of backsliding, oh, it, it doesn't just happen overnight. This is something that sneaks in like a little tiny seed and grows and begins to manifest. And it puts a wall in between you and God. And by the time you even feel it, you've usually become spiritually numb at this point. So the question is, well, what even makes a believer backslide? How, how do I get to that point? I don't even remember when I stopped serving God. 
James chapter 1 and 14 says, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away because of their own evil desire and are enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. See, your biggest enemy is closer to you than you think. And it's your flesh. And Paul warned us about our flesh. He said our flesh wars against our spirit and they are contrary to one another. Our spirit and our flesh want the opposite of what each other's want. And our flesh is full of sin and desire. To this day, we still don't know what Paul meant when he said that he had a thorn in his side, but we know that he wrestled with something in his flesh. He said, the things that I know I ought to do, I do not. And the things that I ought not to do, I do. And I wish I wouldn't do that. And when you're walking in the spirit, you will no longer have that desire to satisfy your flesh. As a matter of fact, the Bible said that there is much worse punishment in knowing the truth and walking away from it than never knowing at all. And the Bible says that a dog returns to its vomit. I don't ever want to be known as a dog who returns to its vomit. And he usually starts slow. You know, Satan has a way of, of messing with things in our life. He'll mess with your schedule. He'll mess with your time. He'll make things just uncomfortable for you. And he'll put inconsistency into your life to where you begin to break out of certain habits that you had before. I remember there was a time in my life where every morning, I made it a point to wake up at least two hours before I got my day started because I enjoyed having that extra time to really start my morning off at a comfortable pace. And I made time to study God's word. First thing in the morning, I'd have my tea and I'd have my Bible and I'd have my devotionals and I'd do journaling and my days started off so great because I started with prayer and before the sun even came up, I was already ahead of the day. And then Satan started messing with my schedule. I went to bed later. I'd stay up until three o'clock in the morning and then and I'm rushing and I'm tired and I'm groggy. And I said, well, I'll, I'll read my Bible tonight. I don't have time. I'll do it later. Just not now. I, I just got to do what I got to do. And it started with one day. Then one day turned into a couple of days after the week. And then my Bible, before I know it, was sitting on my desk just looking at me. And then my prayer life slowed down because I was so tired and exhausted by the day. I'd take a shower and all I wanted to do was eat and go to bed. So I stopped talking to God before I go to bed. I stopped talking to God when I woke up. I wasn't giving him my first fruit. I wasn't giving him my time. I'd fit him in when I had a chance. And Satan knew that that was all that it took to throw me off of my pattern. And my faith began suffering. I started dealing with more. I had less faith, had less trust. Temptation became harder. And I found myself picking at old scabs like Gomer. I found myself in an old stomping ground, old familiar territory, looking curious to know what it would feel like again. And I got to a point where I was so emotionally drained and so spiritually drained because I was doing things I knew I shouldn't have been doing. 
I was walking around in places that God took me out of. And as miserable and as uncomfortable as it was, I just couldn't find strength to get back in the presence of God. I was like, I, I miss this relationship, God. I, I miss how much peace I had. I miss you. I miss us. And it was like my spirit wanted to, but my flesh wouldn't allow me. I wanted to get up in the morning, but my flesh kept me in bed until I'd start my day way later than I intended to. I wanted to sit at my desk and read my Bible, but TV was just too interesting. I wanted to start eating healthier, but it was just more convenient to stick with fast food and gluttony came knocking right at my door again. And I wrestled with so many things and it had its hand around my neck and I had my hand around its neck and only one of us was gonna make it out. And God fought for me. Even when I couldn't fight for myself, God was still fighting for me. He was still convicting me. See, there's something about a person who has backslidden. When a person who has backslidden truly loves God, they become grieved at how low they have allowed themselves to become spiritually. A person who has truly backslidden is uncomfortable in their backsliding. It's, it's like rolling down a mountain. It hurts on the way down. And you know you're falling on the way down, but it's like I just can't stop myself. I don't know how to get back up. But God is waiting right there. Right there where you stop. God is right there ready to grab your hands and walk you back up that mountain but it hurts and when you've backslidden it makes you sad i miss how much i loved you god i miss how inspired i felt by everything i miss having that peace that you gave me i miss knowing that no matter what i'm going through you're right in the storm with me the bible says that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. There's something about a backslider that grieves their sin. And it's that grief, that overwhelming, consuming grief that has you on your knees crying with a snotty nose, begging God to forgive you. Saying, God, I don't know where to start, but I'm here. I'm ready to fight. I'm gonna show up. I'm showing up for you. It hurts. I'm uncomfortable living in my sin because I know what I need to be doing, but I just don't know how to get back there. I want to be back in relationship with you. My spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak, Lord. So just help me. Help me, Lord. And God is saying, come back. I'm still married to you. You backslider, I am still married to you. Come back. I'm going to be with you in every valley and I'm going to be with you at every mountaintop. I still love you. I'm still married to you. But you must acknowledge your iniquity. Tell me that you have rebelled against me. Repentance means telling the Lord, Lord, I have wronged you and I am not going back to this thing. That way doesn't work. And I don't want that anymore, Lord. I just want you just help me. God is saying, you have been redeemed. I have bought you with a price and you are still mine. 
You know, I think that all of us are going through a season right now where the spiritual warfare is getting hard and a lot of us are fatigued spiritually and Satan is crafty. He knows that we've been running so hard. We've been keeping faith for so long and we're exhausted. We've been running this 5K, this 10K, this 20K, this 100K for what feels like eternity. Satan is saying, I'm going to keep wearing you out because I'll do anything to keep you from God. But God is saying, keep running, keep running, keep running. I'm with you. Keep running. I know it's hard. Keep running. I know your family is persecuting you. Keep running. I know your friends have left you. Keep running. I know your relationships have fallen apart. Keep running. I know the world is persecuting my name, but keep running. Keep running because I'm running with you and it's me who's at the finish line so don't stumble watch your surroundings but don't look back so if it is you who feels like Gomer the estranged wife who just keeps going back to that place that you know you ought not to be in God is calling you back home and I'm extending this invitation for restoration in your life right now. I know you're tired. I'm tired. I know it's hard to keep faith, but you are still important. You are the body of Christ, but I'm here to encourage you to come back home. You know, when you get a cut on your skin, there's something that happens inside of your body. All of the platelets and all of the blood clots run to that area that's injured and they cover that area until it heals and that's what the church is to do to backsliders we're not here to condemn we're not here to point and say aren't you a woman of god how are you pregnant and you're not in a relationship aren't you a man of god why did i see you at the nightclub i saw you at the liquor store we aren't here to condemn and just like those little blood clots and platelets cover that injury, we are to cover our weaker sisters and brothers in Christ and pray for them and be their intercessors because sometimes it's just too hard to pray for yourself. Trust me, I know. Sometimes all you can do is sit there and cry and not a single word comes out. So when you see somebody struggling, cover them in prayer and say, I'm here for you. I don't know what you're going through, but I'm here for you. And I'm going to keep praying for you. And I'm going to help you down this race. I'm not here to point fingers at you. I'm here to love you, brother. I'm here to motivate you, sister. I'm here to encourage you. And I'm going to cover you in prayer so that God can heal you. This is the job of the church. If you've been wandering away from the path of God, it's time to come back home.